He really just needs to convince three people in this world that Sherry Redstone's deal to sell Paramount is bad. And all of a sudden, that deal is in trouble. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. It's Tuesday, February 6th. I'm Ben Landy, filling in for Peter. And today, Eric Gardner is here to discuss Byron Allen's secret weapon in his bid to buy Paramount Global. Almost nobody in Hollywood is taking Byron seriously, but Eric explains why everybody might be underestimating him. We also talk about Eric's blockbuster reporting on a bizarre legal twist in the Kevin Spacey House of Cards case that could be worth $150 million or more. We'll talk about all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm Ben Landy, filling in for Peter Hamby today. And I'm joined by Eric Gardner, Puck's resident legal guru. Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So, Eric, later in this episode, I want to get to this pretty remarkable scoop you landed about Kevin Spacey and this utterly insane deal that he just struck over his House of Cards misconduct. But first, I wanted to have you on also to, to talk about your reporting on Byron Allen. He's the former comedian who's become a pretty successful mini media mogul. He owns the Weather Channel, a bunch of local television stations. And more recently, he's been in the news and and on our radar at Puck because he is one of the potential bidders for Paramount Global. And he's not been uh, too uh, discriminating. I mean, he, he had an offer for BET. He said maybe he'd buy CBS. More recently, he's saying he'd be up to buy all of Paramount Global. So, People in the industry have been kind of laughing this guy off in part because he has not been totally upfront about where he'd actually be getting the money to buy all this stuff. But Eric, you've spoken to Byron in the past uh, and over the years, and you had a pretty remarkable, I'd say counterintuitive take on why Hollywood should actually be taking this guy a lot more seriously. Tell, Tell me about that. Well, uh, when, when he first came on my radar a decade ago, I had the same reaction. You know, who is this guy? You know, why should I, why should I take him seriously? Uh, what had happened was that he had sued all of the cable and, and satellite operators, basically saying that, that they were racially discriminating against him by not licensing his niche channels. And I looked at the complaint and I was like, this is hardly serious. I spoke to, you know, people in the industry and they were, you know, yelling at me saying this is all ludicrous. And yet uh, he walked away from that situation in pretty good shape. Most of these lawsuits he filed settled. One in particular, the one against Comcast, didn't settle at first. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court where he made lots of political allies. And, you know, I, I spoke to him about it and he made a pretty good case about, you know, why 
why you know he as a you know black man who owned a, a station shouldn't be ghettoized when when making licensing deals you know he should go through the same processes as basically any other media owner he shouldn't be segregated into some pack with with other mon- minority owners and it, it sounds pretty reasonable to me but what's more important is that you know along the way in that Comcast case he made lots of allies uh, lots of Democrats in Congress um, you know lots of uh, black leaders and they've really boosted his stock and you know he's he's a, an opportunistic man he bought the weather channel a few years later. I mean, the Weather Channel, say what you want about the Weather Channel, but, you know, we're, we're in an era of climate change and, and, you know, owning the Weather Channel is probably good business. He teamed up with Sinclair to buy a bunch of stations. So his portfolio has always been expanding. He hasn't quite matched the ambitions that, that he sets out. He doesn't own an NFL team. He doesn't own a major network. But, uh, you know, it's reason why I wouldn't dismiss him entirely offhand, because he has done some impressive things in his career. And most of the people I do know, you know, admire him at the very least. Yeah, he seems like a smart guy. And I agree he's probably not being taken seriously enough. I, I, I even wonder if there is a hint of a, a racial dynamic in the way that people kind of brush off his bids. And I can see why that frustrates him, um, even if it's also true that he has not been very transparent about where the, the money would be coming from to actually buy Paramount Global. This is an asset that would, that would cost him you know, $30 billion, including all the debt at the company, if he were to, to take that private. So that's, that's a big deal. And I can understand why people are skeptical. But um, Eric, tell, tell me more about this political angle, because it seems to me like the implication that is coming sort of out of the Byron Allen camp or from people who know him is that this is a guy who could make trouble for other bidders. He's got friends in Washington. He's got friends on the FCC. He's got political allies among Democrats who, who like the stand he took at the Supreme Court. Like, what could he actually do if another bidder came along, like if he were up against Apollo or even against David Ellison? Yeah, I think that's the other reason why to take him very, very seriously. I mean, this guy has proven that he has a history of causing a legal ruckus. So when I when I see see the bid, I'm thinking, you know, whether or not he is successful in acquiring Paramount, he has the potential to create, you know, a bunch of trouble. I'm not so concerned about, you know, shareholder lawsuits that might come against the Redstones for ignoring him. But when I do look at the situation, I do see the FCC as presenting uh, a potential impediment to a deal with someone like David Ellison. Uh, let me let me like break it down. Paramount owns CBS, and CBS has a broadcast license, and any change in control over that broadcast license needs the FCC's approval. The FCC currently has three Democratic commissioners and two Republican commissioners. And as we saw last year in in a case involving Tegna, you know, the Democratic commissioners are very, very sensitive about who owns what? They want to encourage minority ownership. They're very reticent about private equity stepping in and buying media companies and laying off people and withering local news outlets. So if Byron Allen perchance got jilted in this arrangement, there is a scenario that unfolds where he whispers in the ears of the FCC commissioners and tells them, look, you know, you need to scrutinize this deal 
really heavily. David Ellison, you know, might not be on your radar, but he's probably bringing private equity to the table. And just like you did last year, you know, you should designate this for a hearing. And that's all what would take for this deal to be on pretty shaky legs, because once it gets to a hearing, these things like take forever. They don't need to even vote the deal down. They could just put it in front of an administrative law judge, and then the deal kind of collapses from being you know, subject to such inaction. It's, it's basically slow walked to death. So really, you know, he, he really just needs to convince three people in this world that Sherry Redstone's deal to sell Paramount is bad. And all of a sudden, that deal is in trouble. So, uh, you know, I, I think that people should take him seriously just for that that small thing, that the FCC is a place where this deal could live and die, and Byron Allen has, has some sway there. And you mentioned the, the Tegna deal. This was a um, $8.6 billion buyout of Tegna by Standard General. It seems like people think that Allen had some kind of hand in that going before the administrative law judge, which didn't lead to the deal being killed, but as you said, uh, sort of slow walked it to its own sort of demise. What's your perspective on those rumors? You, you think Byron did have some kind of involvement in uh, Tegna going before the FCC? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's no secret that he at very least discussed the issue with Democratic congressmen. These were, you know, station assets that that he uh, reportedly was, was eyeing. And I spoke to Byron a few days ago, and he mentioned Tegna quite a few times on the phone with me. So it, it, it's clear to me that, that, you know, that he takes a little bit of credit for, for what happens. And uh, he realizes that the FCC can be an asset in his corner. And that should, you know, concern those who are putting together the Paramount deal, because whether or not they want to take him seriously, they, they definitely need to take the FCC seriously. What do you think about Byron teaming up with some of these other players like David Ellison? Like, that seems to me like there could be a sort of win-win scenario there in that David Ellison really wants the Paramount studio, which it doesn't seem like Byron really cares about. Byron really wants the linear TV assets, which are declining, but they, they still generate a huge amount of cash. I wonder if there's some kind of opportunity here where the two of them get together and put in a bid that allows Byron to take the TV stuff and Allison to take the studio that he wants. Yeah, I mean, that's the irony of the situation. And, and it does make sense to me. And I'm sure it makes sense to certain other players, too. I'm sure that they've gamed out the scenario. And, you know, who knows, maybe this is just all a play to to be at that deal table when David Ellison decides what he wants to do with, with the CBS asset that, that really... I don't think he really wants. So, you know, if, if Byron can step in and take that asset off of his hands, maybe there is a side deal to be made. You know, but first, I, th I do think that he's going to need to kind of, you know, explain uh, his financial backing a little more to put some, some of the other participants at the deal table at ease when it comes to, you know, who's really funding him. All right, Eric, we've got to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll talk about what is going on with Kevin Spacey. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back. Eric, you broke the news yesterday that Kevin Spacey has quietly scored a pretty big legal victory, or at least a financial victory, I guess, that could wipe out millions and millions and millions of dollars in debt that he owes after he was sued for breach of contract for um, basically being a a pervert and ruining House of Cards. I'm being a little facetious, but uh, remind listeners how all this stuff went down. What happened with uh, Spacey and the House of Cards producers in the, the aftermath of that whole debacle? Sure. It was late in 2017. And Netflix uh, and MRC was just about to uh, film the sixth season of House of Cards. At that point, it was a tremendous success. But at that moment, stories started coming out about Kevin Spacey's uh, sexual, you know, proclivities and and misconduct and and all that. And basically, it became a huge scandal. And and Kevin Spacey got suspended and then fired. And then several. Several years later, while picking up the pieces, MRC decided, you know, they want to try to get reimbursed for all their financial losses tied to the cancellation of the series. And so they, you know, brought Kevin Spacey to arbitration. They said that he breached the actor's contract and they scored a $31 million judgment in that. They also filed lawsuits against their insurance companies claiming that sec- that uh, Kevin Spacey's sexual misconduct uh, was akin to sex addiction, and that qualified as a, a sickness under the insurance policies, and, and so the insurers should pay out. And that lawsuit's been ongoing and ongoing. Um, MRC has been having a little bit of trouble uh, with that. And so that's the background for, for what happened in recent weeks, where... MRC has decided to cancel the $35 million that Kevin Spacey owes for breaching his contract. In return, he will give testimony to them. He will release all his medical records and basically cooperate as uh, MRC, you know, hunts the much bigger fish, you know, an insurance policy that's potentially worth 
up to $150 million, punitive damages that could be multiples of that. And, uh, you know, this is all on track for a trial, maybe as soon as this summer. Um, it's a huge gamble and it comes out of the blue. And I don't know what to think of it really, because this is not something that I think is particularly wise, but I'm sure that MRC has its <laughs> reasons for doing it. Yeah, I mean, it seems extraordinary. So, so, so Kevin Spacey owes them thirty-five million dollars or so. This is the the original judgment plus all the interest that's been accruing as he's gone through the appeals process. That money is already owed to MRC, and they're saying we'll give that up. We'll wipe the slate clean. You just need to testify for us, and that's at a shot at one hundred fifty million plus. <laughs> I mean, how good are their odds? I mean, you said you're a little skeptical of this case, but they must feel like they have at least a, a decent shot if they're willing to forgo $35 million at a much bigger prize. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning behind it is. I mean, the judge dismissed, uh, you know, most of their claims last month in court. And there was a, you know, a new complaint that came and, you know, MRC is taking another shot. But... I don't know about giving up $35 million for a chance, even if it's a chance at, you know, hundreds of millions, but I'm sure there's some reasoning behind it. Perhaps there's some other factors that I'm not privy to, but, uh, you know, overall, it's, you know, a fantastic situation. And, you know, we might get to see Kevin Spacey for the first time, really like testifying under oath about what happened, what he's capable of, what the doctors say, uh, and, and all that. It's, it's really remarkable. Well, Eric, do you, do you think this trial is going to touch on sort of the medical definition of sex addiction? Like, it, it seems like at least part of this trial is going to hinge on how much of Spacey's behavior is attributable to some kind of medical diagnosis versus him just being a, a, a bad actor, so to speak. If I had to guess, I would guess that MRC is trying to try to get away with uh, the fact that, you know, when this whole scandal broke out, uh, he checked himself into like a rehab clinic for, for sex addicts. But overall, you know, his psychological condition was, was such that he couldn't perform on set. He was undergoing anxiety, depression. He needed psychological help. And that made him unavailable to film that final season. That, the insurers say, flies in the face of everything that, that, that this production company said before. Where, where basically they said that, you know, Kevin Spacey was available to shoot, but they couldn't tolerate him being there. So I, I think it's a, you know, a, an interesting situation. I think a lot of this has yet to be etched in stone. I think that the parameters of the trial need a little firming up. Uh, that should happen in the next few months when, when the judge takes a look at this and figures out whether there's a viable claim here and whether it should go to trial and what sort of evidence should be presented. Yeah. Is Spacey already off the hook? Like, has the ink dried on this deal or is it all sort of contingent on whether it goes to trial in the first place? It's conditional on his cooperation, as far as I understand it. I don't think it's conditional on, on the case actually going to trial. I mean, at very least, he, you know, has to give a declaration, which I think he already has. He has to give a deposition. I don't see any evidence that he has yet given that deposition. And he has to release medical records. And he has to be available for testimony at trial. Uh, if he satisfies those conditions, from what I understand, the, the $31 million judgment against him gets vacated. Uh, and so he doesn't have to pay that. And he doesn't have to pay any interest on it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, from Kevin Spacey's perspective, I think he's he's basically off the hook. 
Well, good for Kevin Spacey. Uh, <laughs> couldn't happen to a worse guy, but um, interesting story nonetheless. Eric, thanks as always for joining us. This was fun. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.